Welcome to the Wheels Up Podcast, the resource to help business, executive, and VIP travelers stay safe on the ground and in the air. Join Executive Protection and Travel Security Specialist Troy Clayton as he shares tips on how to give yourself or those in your care a safe journey, no matter where your travels take you. Welcome back to the Wheels Up Podcast with Troy Clayton and me, Brett Charman, your co-host. Hey, Troy, how are you doing? I'm good, Brett. How are you? Marvellous, marvellous. So, Troy, what we're going to do today, we've, uh, we've put together a, a business travel safety and security checklist, which we'll make available for download uh, on the podcast website, which is wheelsuppodcast.net. So what I'll get you to do today, if you don't mind, is just run us through that checklist and tell us why these things are important, um, why they matter, so on and so forth. Does that sound cool? Sounds good. So tell us, what do we need to, what do we need to cover off before we're travelling? So some of this stuff might sound um, um, a bit like suck eggs, but um, let's go through it anyway. So visas, obviously, find out if you need one. Uh, find out if you need a specific visa uh, when you're travelling. So, you know, if you're if you're travelling on business, you know, you're usually going to need a, a business visa. Um, some countries consider, you know, um, you know, heading to a conference as as business. So, um, whereas you may go, well, I'm, I'm just heading to a conference, and the rest of the time I'm, I'm taking off. Um, you just need to double check to see if um, your visas are, um, you know, what you need for the, for, the, for each of the country. And, um, and I should say, I've seen people get caught out by that. I've been to conferences where I did have a business visa. People I was travelling with were only on a tourist visa. And sometimes you do get a grilling at the, at the, at the immigration desk. And I've seen a couple of people had to uh, very quickly adjust their visa requirements on the spot. And that can be quite expensive. And yeah, it, absolutely. Yeah, inconvenient and expensive for sure. Yeah. So um, uh, obviously, second on the list, we've got booking. So your flights, accommodation, transport. Um, arrange all this in advance wherever possible. The more time that you have to plan, the better. It's obviously easier to uh, identify risk with the time uh, with time on your side. All that being said, business travels travels don't always have the luxury of time. I, you know, I totally understand that. You know, we we often get a phone call from a client. Next thing you know, you know, you're flying somewhere else. You know, the next day or the day after. So. Um, I, you know, you need to check, does your company have a policy on travel? If not, why not? Um, would you consider placing all your company executives on the one aircraft? A, a good idea. Um, you know, would you want to travel on an airline that has continued safety issues? Uh, look, if it's not in a policy somewhere, then it makes it hard to know or even to dispute how you would, you know, how you travel. So, look, if you have a policy, then you can refer back to it. It's like, a, uh, you know, Referring back to who you book with, you know which airline to fly with, and which transport company to use at destination. So all those bookings, um, you know, you've got in one one place. Now, alternatively, you can obviously outsource to a company um, who, who provides that type of service and can make the booking the bookings for you. Alrighty, um, passport. It's pretty obvious, but is there anything special we need to know about that? Yeah, it's again pretty basic sort of stuff, um, and most seasoned travellers will understand this. But you know, I'm sure you have at least six months remaining on on your on your passport. Um, some countries won't allow you to travel in uh, into their country without that, and you know, obviously, it can be a very long flight back home if if you make that mistake. Okay. Now, how about booking a hotel? Is there anything special you need to look for for that, or you just look at the reviews on TripAdvisor, go with four star, five star, whatever whatever your preference is? Yeah, good question. I mean. I guess we look at it from a different perspective. Um, yeah, you can go on TripAdvisor and, and see what's comfortable, but obviously we look at it from a, a risk perspective, you know, and, and um, you know, not only is it safe, but is it suitable? Uh, you know, we recently had an inquiry from a client base out of the UK. They were uh, travelling to Indonesia. Their, their meeting was in North Jakarta uh, and they wanted some advice on where to stay. Now, anyone who's 
you know, travel to Jakarta will know that the traffic is atrocious at the best of times. Um, and the less, less amount of time you spend in the car, the better. So obviously the client had taken that on board and, and decided to, to find a place not too far from where his meeting was occurring. Um, now the issue with this uh, is that the client had, had inadvertently picked out a hotel which was uh, in the red light district of Jakarta. So, um, so not only was it not really the safest of areas, but um, probably not really uh, the most appropriate for that particular principal who was, who was travelling there. So, um, so it's always worth reaching out to find um, find out a little bit of advice on accommodation. And like we said, you can you can always try TripAdvisor. However, as we said, you know, it gives you information on comfort, but it just doesn't give you an indication to security of the area or even the hotel you'll be staying staying in. Um, and look, we're going to talk more uh, in these podcast series about um, room selection uh, as yeah. well. So that'll, that'll make up part of the security stuff. And I guess the other point we could make about hotel is understand that the less you pay, the less security there is likely to be. So the, the temptation to save money or, or the, uh, the pressure from the top down to save money can end up actually costing you in terms of your your own personal security or safety. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, for sure. Okay, all right. Now, what about um, resources nearby the hotel? What, what do you need to, to look into as far as that goes? Yeah, look, when we're planning a journey, we always look for where are the police stations at, where are the, where are the hospitals. Um, you know, this is just part of what we do when we're planning a security task and even, you know, providing journey plan or, or journey advice to our, our clients. Um, uh, look, if we were going to conduct a an executive protection t- task, um, this would be what what's known as a, the advanced phase. So um, now, you know, I spoke about um, identifying hospitals. Uh, within that, you know, the, we identify the most appropriate hospital as well. So um, the most appropriate hospital, it, what does this mean? It essentially is, um, you know, hospitals and services, they... they excuse me, they vary considerably from country to country and then town to town and and region to region. Public versus private, obviously, they also have their own differences. Um, So a person travelling with a a dodgy ticker or, you know, um, know, cardiac problems is going to have very different health requirements to, say, a family travelling with an infant with, you know, respiratory uh, respiratory concerns. So their needs are different. So obviously we need to customise the advice for that client. Uh, There's no, no point talking to the... Uh, or taking the uh, the child to a cardiac hospital, uh, which may not even have a paediatric department. Or, in fact, some hospitals don't even have emergency departments. <clears throat> I know that sounds strange, but that, that is the case in some of the countries that we've we've worked in. So, um, it's always worth investigating these matters prior to departing um, and getting some advice on that. Um, in the case of the police stations, it's it's worth understanding that these are uh, where they are um, in the event that you need to, to either make a police report or a situation arises where you need police assistance. And that's basically what that's all about. All right. So I guess from a corporate point of view, you mentioned corporate travel policies before. <coughs> it would make sense for uh, corporates, wherever possible, to actually define preferred or suitable hospitals within their policies so that if someone's going to Thailand, they don't have to do the research. Someone in corporate's already done that for them. Yeah, absolutely. And look, that would also work hand in hand. You, you know, you, you talk to your uh, insurance provider about these things as well. Um, the issue that we found um, when we're doing these these jobs is that a lot of the um, insurance companies will will have just a, a list of hospitals, um, and they may not have necessarily proven what we what we call proven the hospitals, uh, which means they they haven't actually been inside them. They don't know what they're like. They don't know what the standards are. They just like they've got a list. This is the hospital. Off you go. Um, and look, like I said, you know, the hospital standards vary greatly from, from country to country, region to region. Um, you know, hygiene standards, uh, uh, you know, differ. Um, 
education standards differ, equipment standards differ. So you, I guess you just want to make sure that you're going to the, to the right place with the right equipment with the right people for the, for, for the, um, the matter at hand. Right, yeah. Okay, now talk to us about the embassies and consulates. Do we need to know where they are or can we just wing that when we get there if we need them? Yeah, look, obviously you want to have um, the, the relevant contacts for, for the embassies and consulates that you're heading to. So um, you know, for our Australian listeners, one of the most uh, useful tools you find on the web at the moment will be uh, smarttraveller.gov.au. I believe for the UK it's um, uh, gov.uk foreign travel advice. Uh, and for the US it's uh, travel.state.gov. Um, these sites will give you a list of all the embassies and consulates across the, across the globe. So you know, it's always worth uh, jumping onto the sites, having a look uh, before you travel, and, and, and making taking note of them. Um, with the uh, the US and Australia, for our US and Australian listeners, you can actually register your travel here as well. So, it, which is worth doing, especially if you're travelling alone or, or in an area which may have some volatility attached to it. Um, and you know, this you know, when I speak of volatility, this could be anything from you know previous natural disasters or you're heading to remote regions which are, which are difficult to reach, um, previous terror incidences, or, or, you know, the list goes on. But um, essentially by registering, it gives you a, a greater chance of being found or contacted by the, the consulate or the embassy um, in a time of crisis. Alrighty. So I guess we, we could also make the point here that if you're carrying these details on you, then if you do get hit by the proverbial bus, for the people who are assisting you, if you're incapacitated, obviously they can see you've got your passport on you, but if they could see the local embassy details and all that sort of stuff, it speeds up that process of getting in touch with the people that matter. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, for sure. Um, so let, let's get on to the medical side of things, Troy. Immunisations, what do we need to know about that? Yeah, look, so we, we spoke briefly um, about pre-screening hospitals prior to your journey. This, this obviously works hand-in-hand hand with that, that particular topic. So, um, however, you know, if you've got your immunisations out, uh, before you go or, or sort it out before you go, then, then hopefully you won't need to visit any of those hospitals uh, when you're travelling. But um, look, there, there's obviously too many uh, here for me to list, but needless to say that um, ensure your immunisation's up to date uh, prior to departing. Um, some immunisations require a um, certain time frame to be uh, administered before departing. So again, uh, being a corporate traveller, you may or may not have that, uh, that, that luxury. Uh, but it is always worth speaking to a doctor who specialises in travel medicine. Let them know um, at the time of your booking what countries you intend to travel to as they may actually need to order in a, a particular vaccine. So, um, you know, we, we try and organise a day where, um, you know, we can um, bring our medical director uh, in uh, from, um, you know, his, uh, his practice at GoTo Health to maybe have a chat, chat to uh, our listeners about travel medicine. Um, that might be a, a pretty good topic to go over to, actually. Good thinking. Let's do What's that. What's your thoughts, Brett? Alrighty. Yeah, for sure. For right sure. Um, now, what about medications in general? If you're on medication, obviously you'd take some with you. Yeah, yeah, of course. So if you're travelling, you usually get a GP or your, your practitioner and you'll, you'll ask them for uh, some medications to, to cover your trip. Um, what we advise is to take enough to cover your trip plus, plus a week. So um, in the event that you're delayed or you're stranded, uh, at least you're going to have enough of medication to see you through an emergency situation. Um, you know, some of the countries that you may be visiting um, may or may not even have that specific medication. So, um, you know, they may have a generic brand that you don't normally use or they just don't, don't have it at all. So definitely take um, enough to cover you for an additional week. All right. And this is a great example of why having a checklist like the one we put together is worthwhile because medications, that can be something you easily forget because if it's sitting in its normal place and, and you're rushing out the door, that, that can be the sort of thing where you you get to the other end and think, smack in the head, oh, my Lord, I forgot my medication. Absolutely. 
So, Troy, you've got here on the list pack a grab bag. What on earth is a grab bag? Yeah, good question, mate. So um, those within the security industry will understand what a grab bag is. For those that uh, that are not in the security industry, uh, essentially it's a, just a small bag, a nondescript bag, um, that um, that you can fill with uh, certain items, which we'll go over in a minute, um, as you're running out the door. Um, it's, it's always packed. Um, you don't have to worry too much about it. You can just pick it up and, and, and head off. So the actual bag itself, there's a couple of things you look for. Um, you know, there's a few on the market. Um, what you want is something that's, um, that doesn't make you stand out. Uh, so obviously blending in is, is your first line of defense. So you, know, you don't want some bright, big pink pack running down the street. So um, you know, stick with something that's, um, that's you know, going to blend in. Um, you want something that's going to be strong, maybe some double stitching. Um, it's not going to rip in a hurry. Um, and it's going to, you know, going to be big enough to, you know, carry a laptop, but but not so big to fit the kitchen sink in it, so to, so to speak. So yeah. Okay, so we're after something here. We we, we don't want to make a fashion statement with it. It's pr practicality is what matters most. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Okay, so what are we going to put in this grab bag? So we're going to. Um, there's a few things we're going to put in. Um, and first thing we we look at is a torch. It doesn't need to be large. Um, I personally carry a, a Surefire torch. Um, there's, there's various other brands out there. However, I've always been happy with Surefire. Um, they're super bright and they're super reliable. Um, think about any situation you get yourself in, a torch can come in handy. Power goes out in a hotel, um, you're involved in an earthquake, a building collapse, um, or even if you just need to you know, search your room for potential listening devices, you need to check under the bed to find that, you know, that dropped item, um, uh, or you want to sweep the car that you've, you've been traveling in. You, know, you want to just check uh, under the seat. You know? um, you know, worst case scenario, you can utilize it to, to blind a potential attacker. Some of these torches are really, really bright, and um, they do a great job of doing that. So, look, there's there's also certain models that can double as a phone charger, so this will maximize space as well. So, definitely having a good torch is is, um, is a, a necessity. Okay, and just for our North American listeners, when, when Troy says torch, he means flashlight. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> just because, yeah, I, I don't want them thinking you're carrying around a torch like an Olympic torch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll make uh, that'll be um, a bit, bit of an issue with the open flame. All right. So that's a pretty common item. Next one you've got on the list is less common: a smoke hood. Why would I need a smoke hood? Yeah. So, look, a smoke hood is basically a protective device. It's it's worn over the head and it covers the face. It's got a, a small filter where the mouthpiece is, and it's it's um, worn when um, when you know someone's caught in a in a burning building or a smoke filled room. Um, Essentially, it protects the wearer from smoke inhalation. So, um, you know, it gives you those those precious seconds, minutes to to get out of there, uh, get out of a burning building, get out of a smoke-filled room, and and um, and uh, and survive the the actual incident. Um, we tend to advise our clients to have one in their grab bag and, and one on a bedside table. They take up no room, um, and they're, they're really easy to put on. Right? Are they expensive, Troy? No, not overly expensive. Um, you know, they're they're definitely you know around that fifty sixty dollar mark, um, right. but not overly expensive. Okay, so much less than the price of a life. Definitely. Alrighty. Okay. So, what else are we going to put in the bag? Um, so we've got uh, we've been through smoke hood. So we're going to talk about uh, a permanent marker or a sharpie. Look, it's really basic, but it, it, it makes sense. It's a great piece of kit. Takes up no space. Sharpie or write on anything. Can be used for many purposes. Um, dealing with uh, an injured person, you can write their details about any treatments or, or vital signs or you know uh, anything that you administered directly onto the skin of the patient, um, you know, i.e. on their arm or on their leg, so that um, you know 
uh, you don't have to write it on a piece of paper that's going to blow away. So, you know, you can use it to mark clothing for additional, or you know, you know, if you if you pick up stuff overseas or additional luggage. Um, so it just comes in handy. Uh, it's it's a pretty basic piece of kit, but it comes in very um, comes in uh, quite useful. Alrighty. So now run us through. We're going to have a first aid kit in the bag. So tell us about that. This looks pretty um, heavy, I must say. Yeah. Look, this um, I've got here uh, IFAC. So in, you know. Depends on who you speak to, but individual first aid kit or, or, or immediate first aid kit, um, IFAC for short, IFAK. Um, look, obviously being a paramedic, I'm a pretty big, big advocate for, for um, first aid. Um, look, every, every medic you talk to has their own sort of version of, of this, but most of them agree with a few items, which are usually the big ticket items, which we're going to sort of cover off now. Um, an IFAC itself, the actual kit, doesn't have to be super big. You know, it's, it, it can you know, usually fit in sort of the palm of your hand, maybe a little bit bigger. Um, and it just needs to car carry those um, those items that are, are going to be potentially life saving. Um, you don't want you know you know all these band aids and, and, and little bits and pieces in there that um, um, you know you can sort yourself out with. But these are this is life saving sort of stuff. So first up, gloves can't have enough of them. Um, you know always need to have a set. Obviously you don't want to be um, placing your dirty dirty hands on somebody else, and you know vice versa. If you don't know that person, you don't know you know what they've got. So protect yourself, protect your protect your patient. Um, We've got here shears as well. Um, now shears are basically, uh, you know, chunky scissors. Um, you can get small ones that are around, uh, you know, that 15 centimetres uh, in length. They're relatively cheap. You know, you can get them from a couple of dollars right through to, um, you know, the Leatherman Raptors, which are which are a little bit more expensive, but you know, they're um, they're a fantastic piece of kit and they're great for cutting, you know, through everything and anything, including seatbelts and, and pants and boots and, and whatnot. So um, next item I've got is a, is a chest seal. Again, this takes up very little room, um, but they really are a lifesaver. You, you, you need next to no training on these at all. Essentially what they are, it's, a, it's an occlusive dressing, um, essentially a one-way valve on it. You know, you place the sticky side down on the chest uh, on any open penetrating wound, leading to a, a pneumothorax or a tension pneumothorax, also known as a, a sucking chest wound. So that's a, a life-saving device um, that is really, really simple to use and takes up you know, no room whatsoever. Um, bandage, we often, um, well, we advocate the alias bandage. Um, now, there's also uh, other bandages out there, which is uh, known as the uh, Israeli bandages. Um, both are fantastic. The alias is um, slightly different in that it's got a, a bit of a, um, it's got a plastic cup, which provides direct pressure, essentially, as you fold it over, over the wound. So um, that assists with uh, hemorrhage control. So, um, so moving on, speaking of hemorrhage control. Would I find one of those Olaus bandages at my local chemist or drugstore? Probably not. You'd need to go online and, and um, purchase uh, some of this, this equipment. So same as the chest seal, you need to, you probably need to, to, to look for those sorts of things online. Um, they're not overly taxing to find. They're, they're relatively easy. You just have to type it in and, and you'd come up with it. In fact, there's, there's multiple companies out there that um, sell IFACs or individual first aid kits or immediate first aid kits. Um, yeah. And... Um, this is uh, these items are what we um, that what, what we recommend. Uh, certainly, the other companies may have you know other bits and pieces that, that go in amongst those. In fact, it's, it's a decision that you guys need to make. I guess make yourself. But this is what we sort of advise. Okay. Um, where are we so we're, we we're talking about hemorrhage control. So, as part of your IFAC, we um, we advocate uh, having a tourniquet in it. Um, you know, basically a tourniquet is a, is a device that stops or, or slows bleeding. Uh, it's, um, you, you, you place it over a limb uh, um, and you tighten it up. Again, 
very little training is required, um, and it is a it's a life saving device. Um, look, certainly anyone within the security industry uh, should be carrying one, um, and then obviously those executives that are that are um, travelling as well. This is this is really something that they should have it as part of their kit. Um, nasopharyngeal. Um, look, also known as a, a nose hose. Um, and the reason for it, it's, it's basically a, a hose that goes down, the, you know, uh, a plastic hose that goes down down the nose. It maintains a, an, an airway. Look, this is obviously something that does take a little bit of training, um, but they are not overly difficult. And, and push comes to shove, if you really needed to maintain an airway, you'd be able to sort it out. But um, look, if you are going to buy these sorts of things, it's always good to maybe follow up with some training if if, uh, if you can find time to get that done. So yeah, uh, and look, last last but not least, is a bit of medical tape. Um, and that's all pretty self-explanatory. It just tapes up all those loose items. So um, it's no good putting a, a you know, if you've, you've got another bandage you can put on, um, you can tape it all up. So, yeah, that's pretty much right. the IFAC. All righty. So, so, again, it's one of those things you carry with you, hoping you'd never have to use it, certainly on yourself, but if you've ever had the opportunity to use it for someone else, um, it could be a life-saving move. And I guess from a corporate point of view, it would make sense for organisations to provide kits like this for their staff when they're travelling and, in fact, make it a requirement within their travel policy. When you are travelling, you will travel uh, travel with an IFAC, company-approved IFAC. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, look, at the end of the day, also, the the, the actual grab bag itself, I mean, this could be part of uh, part of the made-up and part of the policy as well, you know, um, prior to departing um, within the company that you'll you go down, you get issued your your, um, your grab bag and, and, and off you go. Like I said, once they're made up, they're made up. You know, there's yeah. not really too much... Um, uh, time that goes into having to, to, to check on things other than maybe even batteries for the torches and, and that's really about it. Yeah, okay. Um, so we, we still haven't filled the grab bag yet. We've got some more things to go in there. Go uh, we've, got a, we've got a couple of more things here. Stick with us. Um, look, we've got uh, a bottle of water. Look, it, really easy. It doesn't have to be a huge one. Just a small bottle. You can get it from your hotel room um, or, you know, those uh, small camping style bottles, you know, the BPA free type ones. Brett, you kind of know what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm guessing they're... they're um, they're durable, they, they, they withstand an impact, uh, a drop. So they're always good to take. And, um, you know, you've got water when you're on the run or, or you're trapped somewhere or even just stranded at the airport. You've got a, got a bottle of water. So, um, yeah, real easy, real self-explanatory. Um, mobile phone charger, again, another real self-explanatory item. Um, you know, whether you, you, you're you going to take a burner phone, I don't think we discussed that yet, but we will. Um, now, whether you're taking a burner phone or not, you're still going to need to access, um, you know, uh, your numbers and potential information that you've got within it. So um, obviously a, uh, a phone charger is a, is a must-have item. Um, just be aware of uh, what's known as juice jacking. Um, so juice jacking is basically when you're plugging your phone into an unknown USB, um, it can potentially set you up for you know, your data to be compromised. So if you're plugging, um, you know, you, you're recharging back at the hotel, um, you know, you, you don't know what, what that, that power, what that, that jack is actually going to. So um, remember that these, these cables, are, uh, they work both ways. Um, so if somebody wants to get your data, um, then they can do that. Obviously, the best, best way to avoid that is to you know, take an actual power plug um, and plug it into the wall and then stick the, the cable into it or even just have your own um, you know, portable battery pack. So obviously, as you're traveling, you've got uh, your, your passport, your, your visa, you've got um, driver's license. Look, any important documents that you're going to be traveling with, make sure you take a photocopy of them um, and store them in your carry-on luggage. Um, not only that, it's always worth having um, a copy given to a, a loved one or someone back home, whether that be uh, uh, if you know, you, your admin assistant hold, holds on from, from a corporate point of view or a family member holds on to it. Um, look, you know, I only saw the footage the other day of a, 
of an airline worker in Thailand going through passengers' luggage. So look, these sorts of things do happen. Uh, you may end up being a victim of identity theft and without any documents to prove that um, you are who you say you are, uh, it can certainly take a, a lot longer to sort this sort of mess out. So definitely worth um, having uh, photocopies of, of any of those uh, relevant and important documents. Um, we also advocate having a small amount of cash. We tend to be a, a cashless society. Um, unfortunately, though, if you end up in a crisis situation, then um, the cards may not be useful. Cash is king in the time of emergency, so don't get caught without it. Uh, make sure you've got uh, a little bit there to get you through. Um, and speaking about these sorts of things, um, a dummy wallet. We, you know, why would you carry a dummy wallet? Wallet. Look, if you're out and all of a sudden, you know, you're in a situation or a robbery-style situation, um, you know, you can you could potentially um, get out of it with uh, a lot less than than your, your your actual wallet. So take a dummy wallet, some old credit cards, maybe, or even some dummy credit cards. Put a couple of bucks in there, you know, ten, ten, twelve bucks, something like that, and then um, just hand it off. It might be enough just to appease the assailant, and they'll leave you alone. And then lastly, we spoke very briefly on a, a burner phone. A burner phone essentially is a, is a phone um, or a sanitised phone, essentially. So, you know, if you're travelling to an area that you think that, you know, um, surveillance or, or data theft um, is highly likely, then we would certainly advocate uh, carrying a burner phone. A cheap phone, uh, which can still hold lots of numbers if you need to, you know, obviously plug in your numbers uh, and have various apps for communications. However, you know, you uh, only program the numbers that you need specifically to get the task done to make the phone calls, nothing personal. Um, so, you know, if it's hacked or stolen, then, you know, from there it's, it's not a huge issue. So um, we have uh, certainly advised clients when they're travelling to uh, particular countries to take, uh, to take donor phones. So, yeah. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. So, um, so the grab bag's full now. I guess the last thing we should cover off in terms of the before travel thing is just the, the subject of travel insurance. We take it for granted that people will be getting travel insurance, but even things like you know just checking up to make sure it covers you for the country you're going to. Um, have you declared all your medical conditions? You don't want to get somewhere and find out that you're not covered because you didn't pre-declare a condition. Anything else you would add to that, Troy? Um, no, look, it's exactly what you just said. You know, make sure that you've got the most appropriate travel insurance for for where you're going. Um, you know, look, if you don't have travel insurance and you you can't afford to travel, look, most. Um, most organisations um, will have a corporate travel policy which covers um, their, uh, their staff members. Um, but definitely uh, it's worth looking into uh, and get an understanding of it. It's one thing to know that it's there, but it's, a, it's another thing to know, well, what can I do on this trip? What can't I do? Um, for instance, uh, I'm not suggesting that the, all the CEOs and directors are heading to Bali to go on scooters or mopeds, but certainly um, a lot of uh, travel policies won't cover um, you know, uh, you know, scooters or, or, or mopeds when you're travelling overseas. So all those little things, um, check them out, find out what, what you're covered for, what you're not. And, um, you know, if you need to be topped up, then, you know, talk to your HR department or your travel department or, or whoever's organising it to, to, um, to boost it up. Got it. That makes perfect sense. Alrighty, thanks, Troy. So we've covered probably, I'd say, 60 70% of the checklist today. We'll wrap it up here for now. And we'll pick it up in the next episode where we'll talk more specifically about what to do during travel and also after travel, how you can wrap up your travel safely. Sound good to you? Perfect. Thanks, Brett. Top man. We'll see you then. You've been listening to the Wheels Up podcast with Troy Clayton. For more information, show notes, resources, and subscription options, visit wheelsuppodcast.net. Wheels Up is brought to you by the Experts On Air podcast network. Until next time, safe travels.